doing this morning? Yeah, we're back. Thrilled Hockey Report live. Coming to you on 12-Ounce Sports Zingo TV Channel 761. Cody Jansen with you here. Oh boy, a lot to talk about. We got some breaking news to start this thing off. Johnny Boychuk. Gonna have to call it quits after an injury. That sucks. I mean, that's one of the good guys of the game. You know, just a great guy, teammate. You know, one of those guys who no one ever says anything bad about. So that sucks to hear. Oh, man. It's been a past tough past couple of days for the hockey world. A lot to get into, though. And there's a lot of positives still going on. So we don't want to sit here and, uh, you know, complain about the negatives. We'll talk some good hockey, of course. Joining us as well. We'll snap it over to the great province of Saskatchewan. Adam Ehrmantraut is with me. Buddy, what's up? Not much, man. What are you doing? Just hanging out. You know, it's kind of, it looks like we're going into another half-ass lockdown, so I'm not exactly sure what that's going to mean, you know, what's going to be getting changed, but, you know, just trying to live life as normal as possible. It sucks. I was really hoping to, to watch a little bit more hockey, you know, yesterday, this weekend, but... Who knows? You know, just getting by, waiting for an NHL season to, to hopefully start soon. Yeah, I know. And I mean, they they keep saying January 1st, but that's like 35 days away. So who knows even? I don't see January 1st working. Like, that's so quick. That's such a quick turnaround. There's so many things that need to be put in place. I don't know. Like, I don't want to be a pessimist. I just don't see that happening. That seems wishful thinking, to say the least, on the NHL's behalf. Like, Gary Bettman talking about that is just wild. Yeah, and if they really wanted the the season to start, they wouldn't have reopened these labor negotiations again. Yeah, like what's what's your thoughts on that? I guess we might as well get into it. Like, I, it's kind of expected that they're going to ask the players to take a pay cut, but they did just sign a new CBA last year before the playoffs, if I remember right. Yep. So why, like, what's yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Like, as a player's perspective, I don't see why they should have to budge. I understand why some players are going to want to budge because they want to play. It's a lot different if you're Connor McDavid or someone who's made, you know, 50 sheets in their career, or if you're someone on an entry-level deal or a bubble player who's just hoping for that crack at it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, they, I mean, there's definitely some owners that I think don't want to play, right? Like, you're you're spending money on, on your team and not making any, right? Like, there's no fans or anything. Obviously, fans play, pay the the bills. So, I I really don't know. It's a lot of legal talk and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's tough. Like, nobody really saw this coming. And now it's a lot of millionaires kind of doing this and that. Yeah, we'll leave it to the experts like Alan Walsh, right? Yeah, the experts. <laughs> All righty. Well, there there is a lot to get into, and I mean, even a, even a new contract signed for Boston. I guess do we want to start there with Jake DeBrusque or what? Yeah, sure. I guess you're your local boy there. Yeah, no, no, a great, good Edmonton kid. I knew a bunch of buddies that actually went to school with him up around here. I think he's a Vimy kid, so I think that's a good deal. It's two years, just over three million a year. I think first year's around just over two, second year's just over four. So I think that's a good deal. And Adam, I tweeted out, I said team-friendly deals mean playoff contenders. I think that's true with Boston. I really think that if Jake DeBrusque wanted to be a selfish player, wanted to hold out, he could have. He could have asked for more money. I truly believe that he's probably worth over four million a year for what he brings to the team. So I think this is a good team-friendly deal. I think, you know, it's 
pretty fair for the player as well. It's not like he's getting crazy underpaid, but the team's locking up a good forward for less than $4 million. Yeah, and I mean, that's the kind of Boston motto and why they're so good, right? Like, they are they have some sort of internal cap at like $7 million. I guess their, their highest paid player is Krejci, but Marshawn, Pasternak, Bergeron are all under, under seven, so it's pretty crazy. I mean, for Nebraska, he's, he's a, a good player, and I think he has like 30, 35 goal potential, but he just hasn't hit it yet for whatever reason. Like, every game I've seen him play, he's in it, and he's there, but I don't think, like, he looks like he should be getting more points and producing more than he is. Um, like, two years ago, he had 27 goals. Last year, he only had 19, and I mean, it's he looks really good a lot of the time, but it's not the numbers don't always show up. I think you got to you know take the points for what it's worth. Where he does bring other stuff, he brings a lot of energy. He's a guy who's always moving his feet. He's not afraid to throw his weight around. He's not afraid to get into the dirty areas. He's a versatile player. Well, he can play on your second power play unit. He can kill penalties. He can play up and down your lineup. I think that is what is his main value. I don't think they're counting on him to be a top-line guy. I don't think they're counting on him to be a 25-goal scorer every single season. If it happens, great. If not, he still contributes in other ways. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like he's the the first guy over the boards on the the power play or anything like that. So looking at his points and and the structure of the contract, it's a good deal. I would agree there. Um one thing I did forget to mention off the top, I know we kind of mentioned uh, Johnny Boychuk, but even bigger news from uh, yesterday, Fred Sasakamus, you know, Saskatchewan legend. I mean, this guy, you said it best in your tweet, Adam, you know, he paved the way for a lot of First Nations hockey players. Doesn't matter if you're from Saskatchewan, Alberta, anywhere really. I mean, this guy was a trailblazer. He truly was. He touched so many lives, and I, I don't know who, like, I, I don't have proper accreditation for this story, but one thing that I, I've always heard about him, and I never got to meet him in person, but, you know, he always said his calling wasn't to play in the NHL. That wasn't his calling. He wanted to do more. He wanted to do more for First Nations kids, you know, people. I, I mean, he was a chief. He, he did so much for that community, and, you know, it sucks. You lose a legend. It really puts into perspective how serious COVID is, how it can affect some people, but all in all, just, you know, it's a, it's a legend gone too soon. I don't know if you had anything to say on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely gone gone too soon. I mean, realistically, he could have he could have stayed in Chicago or really wherever he, he finished up his his career, and I mean, he decided to go back to Saskatchewan and, and serve as a chief. And I mean, like just developing a lot of sports programs for, uh, for I guess First Nations kids. And I mean, I think if you talk to to any First Nations guy who's played in the NHL, they definitely would have looked up to him. Oh, I agree. And there's so many, you know, he was, he, he held tournaments in Saskatchewan. That's where I think a lot of people around my age would have met him. But I know he also did a lot for the NHL and the league and stuff. And I believe even, even up to last season, he, he dropped the ceremonial puck drop for Calgary, Winnipeg, correct? Or was that previous years? Yeah, the Heritage Classic. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was. I was, I was pretty sure there. And I know he, when, um, the Oilers had a, a you know a special night up here. I know he was up here when they were playing the Blackhawks. So 
Man, it's a tough loss for the hockey world. It sucks. Um, I know we cover hockey, but I, I'd be, you know, reminisced of it. It mentioned Diego Maradona as well. Like that's, you know, uh, passed away today at the age of 60, I do believe. Adam, have you watched that documentary on Maradona? No, I've heard a lot about it, though. It's crazy. Honestly, I would highly recommend watching it because, man, that guy, that guy lived. Like, that is something else. His whole story about, like, you know, being the highest paid athlete or person in the world at one point in time, just everything he was doing was absolutely insane. Would definitely recommend watching. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Okay, moving on back to hockey talk. Uh, Hockey Canada camp. Did you watch any of those uh, exhibition games? I know they had two before uh, things got shut down. They had two COVID cases within the team or players. Names haven't been identified yet, which is fine. But, you know, like, uh, did you get to watch any of the games at least? No, I wasn't able to catch all of them. I had my own own hockey stuff going on. Oh, what's the, the coaching weekend? record? Um, I didn't ask. Uh, oh, and two. We're no. getting screwed a bit like yeah, we're getting screwed a bit by COVID here. Like the oh excuses. Like what? What we we're missing? I think three top six forwards. Um, just because there's this new rule, you have to quarantine if somebody in your class gets it. So we're missing three top six forwards. Like we're playing whatever, lose four two Saturday, and then Sunday in Battleford, uh, we're dressing six seven forwards. The kid gets hurt. A D man moves up. So. Seven forwards, like guys are playing 27, 28 minutes. We go up. That's nothing. So we get the, the we get the first two power plays of the game, score on both of them, go up two rip. The power plays the rest of the game are seven to one. We're up three nothing going to the third. They called five five penalties on us in the third. Um, I'm not I'm not a ref guy, but I mean when the power plays are five nothing in the third and the one team's up three nothing and they end up losing like that's that's interesting. So um, that that was in Battlefords, correct? Yeah. Okay, I got a cra- yeah, I got a crazy yeah, Battleford story too. Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, you're not you're not getting those calls there, so that was tough. But I mean, it's it's the nature of the year, right? Like we're like we we stay in this game with missing three veteran guys, and I mean, you have to think if we have those guys, like we're not we're not losing that game. Okay, funny story about Battlefords, and I mean, everyone knows the refing. Really, doesn't matter what level it's at. You know, you it's going to be suspect. Let's be let's be realistic and blunt here. But it was a few years ago, so it was when I was back in the school there. I think it was the year before. So I had a bunch of buddies playing in that senior league. It's like the SPHL or whatever you want to call it, right? And so they're up yeah. there. It's like game seven or game five of the finals, right? It's the last game, right? There, It's game seven. Everything's on the line. Uh, man, I forget who it was. It might have been like Edam or someone was up like four rip and like going into the third period. And Battleford's like they were playing at home and they had 10 power plays in the third period. They won like five or six, four. After the game, there was a huge like championship game. So Battleford's wins the league championship and there's a bench brawl after. There's a video on YouTube. It's hilarious. If I find it, I'll tweet it out. But just wild stuff happens in Battleford's. Yeah, that's a different place. Was it at the old dump too? Like, or was it at the, the new no, rink? We were at the, we were at the SJ one. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a little bit better than like where the blues and I think the, the, their under eighteen female team plays there as well. 
I do believe at the old rate. Yeah, the Sharks. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 whatever they they are. Okay, back to Hockey Canada though. I know you didn't watch the games. Uh, quick summary: like Kirby Doc's a stud. This guy is he's he's too good, and it, it really it pisses me off even more now that he's not going to be able to play with like Lafreniere and those guys. It's like just release them. What good are they doing sitting at home in their gym? You know, I don't know individual skills training. I get it. Let the kids play. If you're eligible, get there. Jack Hughes, Capocacco. Is he still eligible? Maybe not. I don't know. Like, uh, there, there, there just seems like there's so many players who could make this the best World Junior Tournament of all time, potentially. And we're not going to see that because these teams are afraid that, you know, an 18 or 19-year-old might get injured playing world juniors versus an exhibition game like is there not the exact same injury risk in playing someone in world juniors as playing someone playing an 18 year old in a nhl exhibition game i would say it's arguably there's more of a risk to get injured in an nhl exhibition game where these guys are playing against 30 year old full-grown men guys in their prime yeah it's it's close I, i'd argue though that like the the big world junior games are probably more intense than an nhl exhibition game um, but at the same time, like I, I don't really see the benefit of telling Lafreniere or something to to just practice or something. Like he hasn't played since what is it March? Um, so I, I'm not sure. Like you can kind of tell. Like just listening to a bunch of people who who watch the games and stuff. Like they they said that Kirby Doc looked like a guy who who played in the NHL last year. Um, well, he did. Said Byfield has has struggled. Uh, a little bit. Uh, it's not like it really matters for like him and everybody's making a big deal of docking cousins like being on time for practice or whatever. And it's interesting though. You kind of look at the lines and you can kind of see like who the who the the locks are, and then who the guys on like the outside looking in are. Like Byram and Drysdale is clearly like your top pairing. Braden Schneider and Thomas Harley looks like a pairing. Caden Gooley, Caden Korzak looks like a pairing. Like. You can kind of just like weed your way out, like judging who's like the tenth board or whatever and stuff like that. Oh, I fully agree with that. Okay, also let's—I mean—we'll talk about the unfortunate part. A couple of players ended up do, or getting COVID, and so now they have to decide who was in close contact with them and stuff like that. It's kind of a weird situation where, I mean, from from what I'm hearing, from what you know. A couple of people pretty close to the, the, the situation have said is that, you know, they they both, well, not both of them, holy good English. They all, one of them was in the game, at least one. And so I, I, I'm not a doctor, but would that not mean that they were in close contact with everyone? Yeah, you'd have to think, but... So then if that's, if that's the... Arm. But if that's the case and their agreement with the provincial government or whoever they made this agreement with is that if something happens then everyone has to quarantine for two weeks everyone who's in close contact no questions so that just that 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 screws them out well bad choice that makes them miss their exhibition games against the u of a this weekend and mount royal next weekend does does that not raise some sort of a red flag in Hockey Canada's mes- method of testing these guys properly before they came here? Because as the NHL proved, if everyone was tested properly, 
quarantined properly, it didn't happen. They were safe. No COVID cases happened in the bubble. Hockey Canada needs to take some responsibility here, in my opinion, on, I know, like guys like Ridley Gregg tested positive before. Who's to say it wasn't him again? But they need to do a better job. They failed, they failed the kids. They failed, they, they failed everyone involved by allowing this to get to this point, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not too sure like what the the deal is in Red Deer, like they're technically in a in a bubble and I'm sure that there's only a set number of like food places they can order from and all that but it's not really a bubble like there's still people coming in and out of the ho- hotel people serving them people doing this and that and uh like it's I don't really know like what the protocol is at all and I mean it's crazy to think right like Edmonton went from being a a bubble city because of the lack of cases and now like they wouldn't even be in the top 25 to host a NHL team. No, it's a joke up here, but that's man. I, well, we might as well. I mean, we've always been pretty straight shooter. You tweeted out about uh, government politics yesterday. Now I get my turn to rant. It's an absolute joke what they're doing up here. I get it. Like they, they want to slow the spread and I totally agree that needs to happen. But doing this half-ass lockdown is the biggest embarrassment possible. I mean, politics are an absolute joke. Doesn't matter if you like the UCP, NDP, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. I really don't give a shit. I mean, this half-ass lockdown stuff is the biggest pathetic joke ever. Why does someone, why can someone go to Walmart and buy a bike or a hockey stick, but they can't go to a sports shop. They can't go to a local bike shop. They have to close because they're not essential. Why can 25% capacity go to a casino, but you can't go to a hockey game with more than 100 people when some of these rinks seat 4,000? It's absolutely pathetic what they're doing. And, you know, it, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the fact that I want this to be taken as serious as anyone else. And I agree. I mean, a lockdown would absolutely shut, or it would suck. But if you're going to do it, do it properly. Don't half-ass it because this is just going to increase the amount of time where we're not going to get hockey. Minor hockey won't be able to play. You know, junior hockey is going to struggle. It's pathetic. It's embarrassing. And frankly, I don't know. The people in charge are just a joke at this point. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous when everybody's making those jokes about, um, like, when their grandma comes to visit them, that they're going to go to the mall and the <laughs> casino and church, but she can't stay at their house. And, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting just you look at the case tracking and stuff like that, and a lot of it's from high schools and nursing homes and stuff like that. And, like, I haven't really seen a case about somebody going to like a gym or a hockey rink and, or like a mall and getting it right. Like it's, it's been a lot of schools and close contact and a lot of these gatherings, right? So you can eliminate the gatherings, but I don't think you need to like shut down all these things that you're shutting down. And then here, Adam, I mean, how are you only allowed 10 people? I totally get circumstance has to play a huge part here, but how are you only allowed 10 people at a funeral but you can have a thousand in a big casino. You can, you know, you can put thousands in Costco. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like they, 
I don't know. I've got too many issues with it. Yeah. We can make a 17-hour show. I'm sure people want us to to move on a little bit here. But frankly put, I feel bad for you know everyone affected by it. But a lot of it comes down to you know just incompetence at the highest level, and that's just government in general. Okay, moving along. Uh, shout out to the Flin Flon Bombers. I'm sorry that your season's been ruined. Like you know, it, it, it's you got to take two months off now because of Manitoba's border rules. They can't figure out a place to play. Like. It's just, it's a terrible situation. It sucks for the players. I hope that they're able to put it through. I hope that the SJ just kind of says, all right, you guys can at least play games. You're just not going to be eligible for playoffs after two months. Like, I hope they're able to. But, you know, matter of fact, they're in a pretty tough situation as is. Um, also, did you, how did this tweet not blow up, Adam? I thought this was one of the funniest tweets I've had in a long time. Dave Lowry hired as the Jets assistant coach. I said, okay, does Adam... Get a column, not you, Adam Lowry's son. Have to call him coach or dad. You know, I, I thought that was genius. Yeah. Well, I got, I got I, like uh, one like. That's what I was wondering too. I mean, obviously he would have had to, to sign off on it because um, the, the Blue Jays did the same thing with Bo Bichette and Dante Bichette. And I think Bo was saying that at the ballpark he's coach, but away from it he's dad and I'd assume that's the same with, with Dave Lowry, just knowing some guys who have played for him and some guys who have been around him. That you know, he's, he's a really good coach. He's a hard-nosed guy, wants what's best for his players, but you know, you're going to have to work for it. He was in Brandon before, correct? Yeah, he went from like head coach in Victoria to assistant in L.A. to Brandon and now to, to Winnipeg. So, I mean, he went from... <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit of a tough, <laughs> yeah. tough couple of years there. You go from... Beautiful Victoria, L.A. to Brandon. Yeah, to, to beautiful Winnipeg. Don't forget that one. Yeah, to Winnipeg, yeah. So. Oh. I mean, yeah, good, good for him, though. Like, I mean, it's pretty cool. Like, I don't know. Was that, like, the first father-son coaching parents? I, I can't think of many others. Yeah, no, I, I was counting on you for that. That was on my question list. I'm not the one to ask. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, like, guys who have coached their sons, but... Stack really guy, stack guy, Adam, count him, cut him. Not yeah. getting paid this week. Okay. Uh, well, do we want to talk Emily Kaplan or do we want to talk some Thanksgiving? Yeah. Well, we can we can talk this this thing to wrap up our hockey stuff. So Emily Kaplan of ESPN, she does great work. Uh, she released the best and worst contracts for each team, and I mean the best ones are pretty obvious for a lot of these teams, like. McKinnon, Barkov, Dylan Larkin, John Klingberg, um, Seth Jones, like a lot of these, a lot of those are obvious, but some of the worst contracts, like they've been signed in the last two years, even like anybody who signed in 27, I think it was 2017 with Ladd, Neil Lucic, and then, I mean, anybody who was up for the Norris Trophy in 2018 or whatever it was, like P.K. Subban, uh, Drew Doughty, Mark Edward Blast, like San Jose, and this is probably the, the biggest one on here. San Jose pretty much has three guys eligible, and they're their top three defensemen. Yeah, the Carlson deal's not looking like, too good. It's not even that one, though. Who's worse, Vlasic? Vlasic, yeah. He's got until 25, 26, 7 million a year. Ooh. Um, 
and he wasn't good. Burns is at eight until 2024. Carlton Burns is still a stud, though, and you won't convince me otherwise. No, Burns is good, but I mean, Carlton, like, he signed that contract, They and then he had half an ankle left, like... <laughs> Yeah, I think the I, I think the Sens honestly dodged a bullet. Cause could you imagine if they had had him under that contract and you're trying to rebuild? Like that's that's like three players you can't sign because of that. Well, I mean Drew Doughty's LA's guy on here, and I mean he's still a great defense and he plays on a horrid team, but that's a terrible take. I mean, How's yeah. Drew Doughty have a bad contract? He's like one of the best defensemen in the Pacific. <clears throat> I think it's like the. 11 million through 2026, right? So. Yeah, I'll, I'll give the golden X to that one. That's uh, that's an odd take uh, I can go with. Guess who the least worst one is? What are they going to say? Like John Tavares or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not a I huge mean, surprise. Like, we, we've said it before. Like, is he a good player? Yes. Is he a good leader? Yes. Is Was he a necessary move? No. Was he a move that's going to win him a Stanley Cup? I don't think so. Yeah. Like, I mean, if they win the Stanley Cup in his contract, nobody's going to care. But we've said it how many times. You take a $4.5 million good value for Kadri, then you make him a third-line center, you sign Tavares, so you don't really need he gets 47 goals, and then last year it's not like he was horrible, but there was a lot of games where Leafs fans had the, the pitchforks out ready to throw him out of town because he just couldn't keep up. And for a guy who always hasn't been a great skater um, in a faster league, it's not it's not great, right? Like, so that's interesting. It's not it's not a terrible contract, but a lot of these are like in three years. Yikes. Yeah, it's a tough look. It's who was who like was Florida's Bobrovsky? I don't know if I missed that or not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Florida's that's, was Bobrovsky. Montreal's was Price, which I mean, that's stupid. Yeah. Price like, is the, Price like, is like the I, only reason that they won a playoff series. Yeah, I know, and I mean that's yeah. It's I don't know. It's Matt Zuccarello's on here too. I don't know why Minnesota decides to give him that. <laughs> um, yeah, Bobrovsky's on here, but at the same time, Florida. But that that contract just didn't make sense given the Spencer Knight pick, hey? Yeah, it was a little weird. I. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Like, I, I still think Spencer Knight's the goalie of the future. I really do for Florida. I think he could be an NHL starter, an all star for 12 plus years. I, you know, I've been on record saying that before. And so. I feel he's better than Askarov. No questions asked. I know Askarov's having a great year. I still would take Spencer Knight over him. But now what's the plan? You're not going to trade Bobrovsky. You're going to have to buy him out in five years or 60 years. Is he really the guy that you want Spencer Knight learning from? Is he that veteran guy? I don't know what he's like in the room. Guys might love him. He might be the next Brzezgalov who... I don't, I don't know. I let's let's not go off on this whole Russian tangent here. But are those guys usually the best veterans? You know, ask Brian Burke about it in Anaheim. I think that'll uh, give you a pretty fair answer. Yeah. So no, this is a interesting article. It, it was just I think the biggest thing that was amazing for me is that I mean, so many people who signed after 2017, like Cam Fowler's deal on here is bad. Jeff Skinner 
Bad. <laughs> Went from 40 to 14 goals. Um, Jake Gardner <laughs> just signed and he's on here. Uh, yeah, it's the the funniest one on here though is, is Colorado. Guess who their worst contract is? Colorado worst contract. Hmm, that's a tough one. I'm thinking it's a D man. Like I don't know what's a guy like Eric Johnson making. I mean, it, I don't. I don't know. I. Jonas Donskoy, who only makes three point nine million, so that that kind of shows you the job that Joe Sakic's done. Hey. Oh yeah, Joe. I mean, Joe's a beauty. Shout out! Went to high school with my dad too. Like just a absolute legend. Where he was so good on ice, he was unbelievable. Arguably, I mean, one of Canada's top performers when it mattered. And now he's just proving that he's smarter than everyone else. Like he, him, and Steve Eiserman are two perfect hockey minds. And you won't be able to tell me otherwise. I really think that those two could be some of the smartest hockey minds of all time. Yeah, I mean, no argument here. Like I, And this is no disrespect to Wayne Gretzky. This is no disrespect to Mario Lemieux, uh, Bobby Orr. I don't think they could run a team in that general manager position as well as Steve Eiserman and Joe Sackick have and can and will. Yeah, I mean, I won't argue that. Like, they just seem to know better. And look at the moves that Sackick's done and getting a guy like Bowen Byron for Matthew Shane, who is now like on the the back nine of his career, and it's like he's done, right? Yeah. 100%. Alrighty, we're going to get to a couple of fun things. Hey, it's American Thanksgiving. Um, shout out if you're American, you're watching this show, you are the absolute best. Also, hat two quarter going in this Friday. Watch it. These hats, these toques are sick. Hats are awesome as well. I know Adam's got some on the way. They're fresh. 30 bucks a pop. Support the boys. I mean, come on. This is, you know, we, we do the hat giveaways. We're going to bring back World Hockey Report Overtime Challenge for the World Juniors if. If we sell enough of these toques and hats, we'll hook you guys up. We love you. We, we appreciate everyone who's supporting. I mean, we're shipping hats over to Europe. We're shipping them all around the world. You guys are the absolute best. Sweaters, you know, if you want that, like, we got them as well. Hoodies, t-shirts, hats, all of the above, just for the best fans in the world. All right, let's talk a little Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Adam, I know you thought Black Friday was last week because you are a clueless clown and you just, you're like, oh, Black Friday deal. Okay, cool. It must be Black Friday. That's funny. Um, do you like those videos? Like, are, are you one that's like on Black Friday? You're like sitting on Twitter refreshing it, watching like Black Friday fights or what? Because I find those hilarious. Yeah, some of those are pretty funny. And like the the best, um, I think my funniest like Black Friday, just the first thing I think of in Saskatoon especially, is people lining outside of Lululemon for, like, two hours just to get, like, $10 off on a on a sweater pants or something like that. Like, it's, it's insane. Like, a store like that who n- never really marks anything down or anything because it's, it's been all the same stuff for how long people keep buying it. Like, they'll put, like, 5% off this or something like that, and people go crazy for it. Like, it's wild. Really? Okay. I, I wouldn't have guessed Lululemon. Like, I'm thinking, like, probably, like, TVs, couches. Those are usually the big things. Like, I love just seeing the videos out of the States where, like, people, like, it's just, like, a madhouse running into Walmart and people are grabbing, like, toilet paper and just useless shit. 
Yeah, like it's, I mean, and a lot of the sales, it's like you have to spend $100 to save 10 Oh, I know. It's overrated. It, it really is. And like, it's such a marketing term. Like Black Friday isn't even a thing up here in Canada. Like people just like jack up the price and they're like, okay, plus you can get an extra 10% off. Like, I mean, that's okay, whatever. Now they're just cutting their margins or whatever, profit margins by a tiny amount. Okay, quickly, last one. Thanksgiving. Um, are you turkey or ham guy? Ham. I think turkey's so overrated. I know. We've got into this before. I don't even know why I asked. That's a stupid take. Ham sucks. Ham's for Christmas. Okay, what's the best side? Um, I think just like potatoes honestly like just mashed potatoes like i don't really like stuffing or cranberry stuff okay okay i'm a mashed potato guy i'm a good like you know a good good nice gravy too not too salty i'm all for that yeah exactly no i and then i'm not like a a big pie guy either like Okay, I'm a big pie guy. I, you know, apple pie, Saskatoon pie, I'm all for it. Really? I like, like, the Saskatoon berry pie is fine, but a lot of the time it's like, you get the pie or whatever, and there's just three pounds of berries in it, and it's just, it's just fruit, pretty much, or sugary fruit. Yeah, I know. It's got to be done right. It, it really does. But alrighty, we got to get out of here. Clint Malarchuk is coming up next. Cody Jansen, Adam Irwin Trail with you on World Hockey Report. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at World Hockey RPT. Buy a toque, buy a hat, support the fellas. I don't care. Sweatshirt, t-shirt, whatever. A lot more content coming your way. Adam, any last words? No, have a good, uh, have a good weekend, everyone. And Thanksgiving. Don't forget those Americans, Adam. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Football oh. tomorrow. Football tomorrow. Yes, that is true. Great betting day. Of course, go to mybookie.ag, promo code 12 Sports. Back after the break with Clint Millarchuk. It's World Hockey Report. Cody Jansen with you here. 12 Ounce Sports, Zingo TV, channel 761. No Adam today. He's uh, stepped out for a bit, but now we've got a special guest on. You know, we're both from Saskatchewan, kind of made the trip a little further out west to Alberta, so it's a perfect stop. We get Grand Prairie's finest, Clint Malarchuk, on the show. Clint, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Beautiful day down here in uh, northern Nevada. I'm in the Reno Tahoe area, and it's probably about 78 degrees. Beautiful. I guess uh, Celsius, I don't know, 23, 24 in there. Beautiful country down there. So what do you do? I mean, are you big into boating, golfing? What's, what's your day consist of? Well, I'm pretty much a horseman. I've got horses and, uh, you know, some livestock, but uh, lots of dogs, I'll tell you that. And uh, I'm a certified horse dentist and horse chiropractor. So I've done a horse business down here. Uh, uh, deal, obviously. I'm a advocate. That's awesome. No, that's cool to hear. So did you grow up on a farm by Grand Prairie or what? That's always fun work, you know, living on a ranch. I grew up on a farm, too. Uh, yeah, there was uh, no days off. The farm does not sleep. 
So then, okay, we got to jump into your junior hockey because, I mean, you, you ended up playing in Fort Sass to start juniors. I mean, that's, you know, right around where I'm at here. Obviously, it's a it's a big hockey community. What do you remember about playing in Fort Sask? Like, what was it like when you were playing juniors for the Traders? Well, I was young, and I know that. And uh, a lot of the guys, you know, back in those days, juniors, they could range anywhere from, like, 15 years old to... Uh, being an overage player maybe 20 so I was there at 15 and uh, we had a great great team we had a lot of success and uh, I just remember the older guys really took me under their wing and, and uh, we had a great coach Gene at who's a local man there in Port Saskatchewan and his son Marty played on the team and um, yeah those are just great times uh, a lot of memories and uh, you know, it was a small town back then. I'm sure it's not that big still, but man, it was real small. I don't, there wasn't even a, a, a traffic light. <laughs> and I don't know if there is one now there, but uh, it, it, it was just a great we, we had this old barn that we played in, a lot of character, and yeah, great memories. That's awesome. That's awesome. I always thought the traders were cool. You know, they had those awesome red jerseys. It was kind of like like the, the Buffalo Sabres red ones almost that they went to. Like it just had that sort of nostalgia to it. So I thought that was cool. And then you ended up, I mean, Portland Winterhawks legend. I mean, you know, you going down to the States, they're playing in Portland. Like obviously that's a huge transition for you, especially as a junior player. But what was it like? Like was Portland still a hockey hotbed back then? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we had great crowds. Like, uh, you know, for junior hockey, we get ten or 12,000 um, in, in a beautiful arena, Memorial Coliseum, I believe it's called. And, uh, oh, yeah. In an NHL room. And we had, uh, it was a great grooming for guys that were going to go on and play. For we had reach, uh, you know, great like I said, and we were kind of like big dogs in, in that, in that, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Well, yeah, Portland's always, well, I guess, you know, in the, the past 20 years, they always seem to have a, a stellar team. But, you know, you go there and, you know, you're a guy who's definitely remembered as one of their, you know, original star goaltenders because you made that jump to the NHL the season after was it, was it one did you play in the minors like that first season or did you start in the NHL with Quebec how did that work and like what was the transition what was what was your moment where you're kind of just like holy I'm in the NHL right now like what what hit you well I think it was my first training camp you know I was like 19 or 20 years old and uh you know my first training camp and I was you know I'm going to humbly say, and we're talking about, you know, they had some, you know, pretty good veteran goaltenders. Dan Bouchard was the number one there, and I was having a better camp than him. And I thought, you know what? My God, I can do this. And I think I opened some eyes too. Uh, they didn't have. I, I was, I was fortunate to be drafted by a team that didn't have a lot of depth in in, in their system in goaltending. So. Um, you know, I had a great training camp, and I think they thought, well, we got a guy here that maybe can step in. I only played a couple games in the NHL my first year. Uh, you know, I did my time in the minors, and uh, it was fun. I, I learned the pro game, uh, learned how to do my own laundry and write my own checks and, you know, pay the bills and, 
you know, learning experience. But yeah, it, it was uh, kind of a, a moment where I was like, you know, after that camp, I thought, wow, I outplayed Dan Bouchard. Dan Bouchard was a pretty damn good goaltender. And maybe he, you know, being a veteran, he might have not took too serious straight camp. You know, still back in those days, it was to get in shape. And, uh, but uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And then, you know, uh, you know, I, I was up and down uh, from the minors to the NHL for my first few years. And uh, I think my big moment was I had my first NHL uh, game uh, playing the Buffalo Sabres, which I ended up playing for anyways. But, uh, yeah, I, I got second star of that game. And I was like, it's <laughs> a funny story. Uh, I got hit, hit in the head uh, with a slap shot in warm-ups, and I got <laughs> cut. Oh, so I was getting uh, I was getting stitches before my uh, first NHL appearance, and the coach came in, Michelle Berger on French Canadian, and goes, "Oh, kid, you no play, you no play tonight." And I was going, "Oh, I'm playing, I'm playing, <laughs> getting stitched up, and and I'm playing." And I ended up playing and, and had a great game, and uh, you know, like I said, I was I think second star, and I thought, "Wow, here I am, here I am." Unfortunately, it is a funny story, really, because I had such a good game that they they uh, they put me uh, in the next night. We flew to Long Island to play the Islanders, and this was in their heyday, right? And uh, Stanley Cup champion dynasty, and <laughs> we got blown out ten to seven. <laughs> they constantly island ten goals, but you know what? Billy Smith at the other end, that is seven Hall of Famer. <laughs> so, but the, the day after that, I was sent back to the minors. So. Um, you know, it, it, it's a process, you know, and, you know, I, I, I certainly paid my dues in the minors and, and you know, uh, you know, got got to where I could uh, be a, a steady goaltender in the NHL. Hey, if you're standing across the ice from Billy Smith, you're doing something right there. Clint Malarchuk, my guest here, World Hockey Report, Scotty Jansen with you. You know, we're, we're diving into your career a little bit, and I got to talk. I mean, I believe it was the 86-87 season where you were stellar, right? You played like 60 games. I mean, you posted right around a 900 save percentage. I think you were an all-star that year. Like, what was going right for you? Goaltending back then, I've said it a million times, is way harder than it is nowadays, and I, I guarantee you would agree with that. But, like, were, were you just feeling it? Were you just like, hey, this, this is coming easy to me. I'm comfortable now. Well, I think it, it, I think it's a process, you know, that you you go through the minors and you know you develop and you. I think for me the difference was gaining that uh, how to you know I every time I went up and down, uh, you know, in, in the minors in the American paying your dues and I think you know uh, in the American Hockey League I was you know pretty pretty darn good and then when I go up to the NHL and play a game or two or three or whatever. Um, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable. And so I, I had to sit back and think, what is the difference? And, you know, what it is, when you're in the NHL, you know, now you got TV, media, all this, uh, more pressure. So I had to train my mind um, to handle pressure. And I got a book called Sports Psyching. I studied it. I did the exercises, how to handle the stress and pressure of being uh, uh, an elite athlete, and that's what turned my career into being a steady uh, number one goaltender. That's crazy. That's actually an awesome story. 
Clint, I mean, you know, I'm a goalie guy myself too, and you know, growing up, my dad was a fu- or my dad was a goalie as well, and so I loved wearing his old gear. You know, when he was playing street hockey, like this, this, this stuff was heavier than me. I'm pretty sure at the time. What what, what do you remember about you know, like like some of your sets of gear? Like I know you've coached now, so you see how gears transitioned, and it's, I mean, maybe a little bit of a nerdy question. But you know what? When you see the new gear, are you like, "Oh my goodness!" If I had that, I would have played thirty years in the NHL, or I would have been the fastest NHL goalie. What's it like for you? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You know what? The gear we had back then—I mean, it—it it hurt in practice. I mean, you're—it oh. uh, it was funny because well, you're showering after some guys are going looking at your body and it's bruised. And he goes, "I gave you that one." They're pointing at you. You know, <laughs> I hit you on the shoulder and. and uh, uh, when I was co- a goalie coach in Columbus, um, I had the opportunity to put the gear on because one of our goalies uh, couldn't make practice. He was sick. And I was going, oh, my God, it's so light. And then I get a zinger off the shoulder or the elbow, and I'm waiting for that pain. No pain. I was going, whoa, is this any good? Because I, I, practice was not really all that enjoyable. But back then, the, the guys... Uh, um, you know, they they keep their shots down. They they respected their goalies. They didn't want to hurt them because they knew the gear. Uh, we thought it was state of the art. You know, the gear uh, has dev- revolutionized uh, goaltending. I mean, um, I, I really have a lot of respect for my comrades back in the days in the 80s and early 90s. Well, even the early 90s, the gear got better. But, um, you know, we were, we were warriors. I mean, you had to be to play that position. Uh, I mean, it hurt in practice. And putting the gear on, um, you know, back, I don't know, it's been a while now, but the gear was, I, I didn't feel a shot. It was fun. You didn't have to worry about pain or hurt. <laughs> that seems like uh, you know the best part about goaltending when you know you see those those old chest protectors get me every time. I mean, there might as well have not been anything. You might as well put a second jersey on and call it protection. Clint, I gotta ask you because well, I, you know I, you know a guy that I look at my rook, I, I, I look at my rookie card, uh, hockey card, and I'm like, it looks like I'm I'm just got a jersey on. You can't see. We can see your biceps <laughs> you know, in there. No bulky equipment. <laughs> Clint, I got to ask because, you know, you played on some great teams too. And I mean, I think back to those Buffalo days and, you know, guys like Alex McGillney, one, what was he like? And, you know, two, I guess we'll double load this question in a sense of who was your, who was the, the best hockey player you played against? Because there's so many great ones, but, you know, you, you spent some time out in Buffalo, so maybe you didn't get to see, you know, Wayne and those guys as much. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you at that one. What was Almo like and who was the best player you ever played against? I mean, those two guys, um, I, you know, they weren't that good. I gave them all their confidence because they scored so much <laughs> on me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, those, those two guys were just absolutely amazing. And, and even to this day, I don't think, uh, and we've got some great players in the game now. You know, I, I, the first guy I, I think of is uh, David there in Edmonton. And, and, but, um, you know, those guys were just incredible. And and the other uh, uh, part, uh, I, I think uh, Alex McGillney, um, I was his first, he came over from Russia, and they, I was his first roommate, no and way. he could not speak a lick of English. And it was funny because he was kind of, 
he had he had some issues, you know, he hated flying. And in Buffalo, uh, he just couldn't get on a plane. So he'd take a limo to certain cities, and we, we'd get on our plane and fly, and he'd meet us there, but he, he, he went in a limo. And he, he definitely got over that fear and was able to uh, fly with us again. But um, it was funny, uh, you know, he, he, he was such an extremely uh, great player, but even as a rookie, he just kind of had a different... Uh, I don't know if it's a Russian thing or, or what, but he'd skate to the blue line on a drill, and he's supposed to skate hard all the way in and, and try and score on the goalie. No, he'd flip the puck in. I mean, absolutely just a feeble wrist shot and and then go to the corner and line up with the guys at the drill. It, it, and it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's crazy. You were his first roommate, though. Who would have who thought? I think that that's, you know, a guy who is uh, very disputed whether he should be in the Hall of Fame or not. So it's always an interesting topic there. Clint, obviously, I mean, you, you know, you, your career, I mean, it, it spanned a long ways. You played on multiple different teams. You know, you had stops, Buffalo, Washington, Quebec. And then, you know, after the incident, I, I believe it was 89, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's fair to say, but I, I think that your career maybe wasn't as great as you, you would have hoped. Obviously, things don't go as planned for most goaltenders. But, you know, in the later starts your, or part of your life, I think you're able to look back and, and, you know, really get out a message to a lot of the younger hockey players and people in general with your book, A Matter of Inches. I mean, it's a fantastic read for anyone who hasn't read it. It's definitely something that you're going to get glued into. I mean, you know, once you get a chapter in, you're not stopping. So, so Clint, walk, walk me through that what I guess when did you decide hey I want to do a book like you know I, I believe it was a Dan Robson I believe who helped you write it and I know he's done a few others what walk me through that process from your perspective well you know uh, I don't uh, know my whole history you know I, I struggled mightily with disorder so so writing the book was uh, you know very difficult it was hard opening up old wounds um, you know, but I didn't realize how many people uh, struggled uh, that do struggle like I have. So, you know, where I am today is, is basically I'm a mental health advocate. I'm a public speaker. Um, you know, I do a lot of charity events. I, you know, I'm trying to help people that uh, are struggling like I did. And it's important that they know that they're not alone, that, yeah, this guy played the NHL, and they're going, wow, he struggled. So, yeah, hockey gave me that platform. Now you're, you're a mental health advocate. You're seeing some of these kids come through the NHL nowadays with so much pressure on that. You know, are, are, are any players reaching out to you personally? Are teams reaching out to you to get you to talk to the players? I know it's it, it's crazy times, you know, even for myself playing. In a team atmosphere, you don't always feel comfortable reaching out, talking about some of those things. Uh, and I, I know what you're, you're trying to get at, and, and I, I, it's a stigma, and it's still there, and that's what we're trying to break is that, uh, you know, Michael Landsberg coined the phrase, uh, you know, you're sick, you're not weak, and, and we as athletes, and, and especially when you're, you know, uh, kind of an elite athlete, whether it's at the junior level or uh, NHL, um, it, it is uh, it's a stigma because we're trained to be strong and mentally tough and push through. But you know that's where it, it's important to understand it's a sickness, not. 
public speak about and try to. And yes, I have worked with uh, and talked to. Uh, mostly, I, I did a talk with the WHL a few years back, uh, the coaches and general managers, because we've we've had some suicides in this game, and uh, at the pro pro level, retired level, and at the junior level. And it's important. My message is: Do you want this to happen on your watch as a coach or a GM, one of your players? Uh, we got to be mentally aware that uh, people do struggle, and you know, stress is a big. Uh, <laughs> here you go. Stress is a big stressor, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it, it can it can it can wear on these young men. And so, it's important they they learn that that they're. They're not alone, and they can reach out to a Clint Malarchuk or uh, whoever else is out there, um, you know, uh, mental health advocates. Clint, it's such a powerful message, and I'm glad that you're open about it. I'm glad that you're, you know, willing to talk with these coaches, these managers, these players about it, because as you said, you know, Michael Landsberg, it's, you know, sick, not weak, and it's about getting the conversation going. I know there's there's guys that I played junior against that, you know, committed suicide. It's, it, it's terrible, but, you know, if, if, if they don't feel comfortable talking about it, that's that's where we can be better as a society. So I'm glad that you're able to open up about it. I really think that anyone who hasn't read your book, definitely, that's a, that's a must read. Where can people find you? Where can people co- connect with you? You know, if they want to get you out for a public speaking event, maybe after you know COVID slows down a little yeah, bit. But where can people find you? Uh, I have a website. It's malarchuk.com. It's called the Cowboy Goalie. <laughs> uh, you know, because of my background with uh, being a cowboy and a goalie. And uh, my email is canuckranch at uh, yahoo.com. Canuckranch is, you know, C-A-N-U-C-K, ranch, all one word, at yahoo.com. And I get uh, a lot of emails. I get uh, uh, Facebook messages and everything, and I do follow up on every single one. Clint, you're the best. I, I, I guess I didn't even get a funny story out of you. I kind of breezed over it once I got thinking about Alex McGillney and Gretzky and all those guys. Do you have any funny stories from playing Quebec? I'm sure you had some characters on that Washington team too. Like, you got one funny story that's that's your favorite you can tell? Well, I've got many, many <laughs> favorite and funny uh, stories, but uh, I remember my rookie year going into our fitness training, and there was this guy, kind of a heavy set guy, um, and he's riding the bike, and he's he's kind of just a stationary bike, and he's kind of just pedaling through, and he's got a, a cigarette uh, in his mouth, and he's uh, talking away in French, and everybody's laughing. So I thought this guy's a character, kind of a joker, but it was in French, and I couldn't understand it. And so I said to somebody, uh, I thought it was a trainer calibrating the bike, getting it ready to test all the players, and. Uh, I said, Who, who's that guy? Everybody's laughing. And they go, oh, that's Moose DuPont, our, our captain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, different times back then, eh? That's hilarious. I, I mean, oh, yeah. you, you didn't play with Guy Lafleur, did you? Or were, were you there when he was there? No, no. I, I was against Guy all the time. Oh, yeah, okay. I heard yeah. some funny stories from guys who had played with him about his, uh, you know, wasn't afraid to, to smoke during games if he felt necessary. Oh, in Quebec, my God, we had five or six smokers. Uh, here's another funny story for you. Uh, I, I, I got called up, or maybe it was training camp, I can't remember, but I was the third goalie. So it was Dan Bouchard was number one. Michelle Plass was number two. Uh, Bouchard came out of the game. I can't remember if it was an exhibition game or 
foot in the game or whatever. He got he he came out. Michelle Plath goes in, and all of a sudden there, there's a whistle that blew, and the linesman skates up with a pack of smokes and a lighter, because Plather used to keep his smokes in his pad on the bench, uh, because right away when the period ends, they they go to their area where the five or six guys that smoke could smoke, and he forgot to take the smokes and lighter out of his pad. He went in the game and they fell on the ice. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> That's no, hilarious. No that's hilarious oh man i can't even imagine like you know what what would happen if that's on national tv nowadays people would lose their mind oh for sure for sure clint thank you so much i really appreciate you taking the time all right hope you get this editing on clint malarchuk right there huge thanks to him for hopping on the show we're gonna wrap things up though be sure get your two get your hat ordered in by friday we appreciate all the support huge thanks to clint larchuk as well adam Erman trout our boy jeff beck at 12 ounce sports zingo tv channel 761 until then everyone have a great day